Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody, to another Welcome to the J podcast episode. I have a very special guest with me here today. But before we get into all of that, make sure to like and subscribe to Field of 68 Media Network, where you can get content such as this from myself and other people representing their different alma maters. Today, like I mentioned, very special guest, a media member that has followed the Jays for decades, it seems like, a contributor for the White and Blue Review, a host for the Blue Jay Beat podcast. He's also the co-host of the Scurry and the Scrub podcast, someone who's very biased about his Jays, and he's most certainly not afraid to show it. Matt DeMarinas is on the podcast. Welcome to the day, brother. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure to finally be on. I'm, I'm honored, honestly. Like this is this is big time. I was like, I didn't know if I was uh, if I was uh, if I carried enough weight to be on this show, but uh, I appreciate it. Stop it. I've told you how often before that, like you're one of the guys that's kind of given me game on how to do this whole podcast thing anyway. So I'm just I'm very happy to have you on the show. Uh, it's not going to be the last time either. As we keep growing this thing, you're definitely going to be a reoccurring member. How are you doing? How you been holding up? Good, man. Just uh, staying COVID free, staying safe, covering as much sports as they'll put in front of my eyes. So right now there hasn't been that much of it. So we're trying to yeah. a little bit bored, but yeah, I'm good, man. Family's good. Everything had a good Christmas. How about yourself? Uh, good out here in Paul trying to say as COVID free as possible as well. Got a lot of games, big games coming up on my slate. Um, and then obviously the Jays have a couple of games that we need to talk about that have been postponed. Yep. We'll get into all of that for sure. But, you know, we, we have to get the pleasantries out of the way, don't we? Just to make sure that everybody knows that we are actually friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, wait a second. These guys know each other? Yeah, we're good. Yeah, just a little bit. You covered me when I was a player. Yep. Uh, I remember like my freshman year especially because coming from Canada it's not that big hype about like you know the game that you just played people covering it people writing about it people reviewing on different you know social media platforms uh I remember white and blue review was like one of those things and the next day after a game I'd always try to like read up on what you guys were talking about like did they like my performance did they not <laughs> how did you get started uh with white and blue review and, and covering crane sports in general uh that's I mean, it's not, it's not an exciting answer. I just, uh, I started covering mixed martial arts. So, um, you know, I was doing interviews with like fighters and stuff and, uh, you know, on the UFC scene, I, that was like, it was just blowing up. So I wasn't really like, um, you know, going all around the country, going to events and stuff. I was just hopping on conference calls and like, talking to fighters but it was a little bit of a wide-eyed thing for me because you know you're talking to these guys who are like international superstars and you're like how did I get into this like <laughs> I'm just I'm just this dude from like Omaha and you know who training camps and stuff like that and trying to figure out what makes them tick and things like that and I don't know it just built uh I built some confidence that way. And, and then um, white and blue review kind of got started when uh, this is kind of a long story short, but like the blue Jay underground used to be like the place to go for all the blue Jay fan chatter or whatnot. And then it split up when the previous rivals owner started the rival site, the, the pay site or whatever. Yeah. And so we kind of were like, we don't really want people to have to pay for, using a message board and talking Jay's hoops, you know? So that's how white and blue review kind of started. They just, they kept the, 
the Blue Jay Underground Forum going and then started their own website covering the Jays and just giving people free coverage because that's kind of what we felt like was the right thing to do. And um, and then, yeah, I, I was just a poster. Like, I wasn't even, like, a media. I wasn't, like, writing for them or doing anything. And they were just – they just needed some help. And I was like, well, um, I do have some experience. And I sent them – it was so funny. I sent them, like, all of my work from, like, years of covering MMA. Way over yeah. – way oversold myself. Like, <laughs> I was like this is this is basically all I did. And they were just like, okay, that's that's fine. We're, we're just looking for somebody to, like, you know, write a 300-piece article every now and then. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. So I started out on women's soccer. It was my first uh, first assignment. And I just kind of bashfully asked for like, hey, can I cover men's basketball, women's basketball, yada, yada, yada. So as like the time went on and um, the months went by, I just added more and more assignments. And now I just like cover everything. So I kind of just took it from there. So it wasn't really that, planned that way, but that's kind of how it started. It's kind of funny how that all like, makes its way around because I vividly remember the first time I paid attention to what you guys were doing was my incoming freshman year during that summer, uh, a summer league game of mine. And you guys were like in-depth critiquing my form, like critiquing my stature. I was like, damn, these guys are on it for real. Like how is a 6'2 lanky ass kid from Canada going to get kind of like a little bit of spotlight off of a summer league game before even having played his first collegiate game? So I do appreciate what you guys have done, obviously, and I'm still a big fan to this day. Hey, the Jahan's Maniga days are the best day, man. Those were fun to cover. Hey. So. Man, let's get right into it. The last time we saw the boys, obviously, a glorious game for all of us watching after that disappointing loss to Arizona State at home. They bounced back royally and beat arguably the best team in the Big East or projected best team in the Big East in Villanova. Uh, since then, that was the last time we saw them. We've had two games postponed. I have to ask you, uh, due to COVID, obviously, kind of hitting different programs and whatnot. Do you kind of see a similar situation that, like we had back in 2020, where there's a chance that maybe the college basketball season might be, you know, kind of stricken off the board where they're going to say, hey, guys, let's keep these student athletes safe. Let's just cancel all the games and let's just try again next year. Yeah, I really don't want to say no because then, you know, who, who in two weeks the situation might get much worse and then I'll look like a fool. But, you know, you just kind of have to be day-to-day with it. But the incident – I mean, the NCAA came out yesterday and said they're not canceling the NCAA tournament again. They're not going to bubbles. They're just going to – they're going to push through this. So, mm-hmm. I think in some regards there's a – they're looking to maybe a few months down the road and expecting this wave not to be as prominent anymore. It, they think it'll subside, I guess. Um, and honestly, when, if you, if you're, if you're up to date on, um, you know, what the Omicron variant's doing, you know, we have a large enough population that is vaccinated right now, which is, you know, I certainly haven't, it's no secret that I'm encouraging that in all facets. So I don't know why people are yeah. still holding out on that, but that's beside the point. The, but the variant right now isn't, you know, it's not as severe as Delta. It sounds like it's it's more infectious, but it you know it doesn't sound like it's as severe. And then the other part of it is, um, if you're vaccinated and you're boosted, you know your symptoms are you're gonna knock them out pretty quick. It sounds like so mm-hmm. you know 
that's one thing that Creighton has done so far. They've been pretty proactive about getting this this booster shot. So all you know, the guys, the men and women both uh, seem to have prioritized that. And um, so from that aspect, I guess people can maybe rest easy that even if it does hit them and they it causes a pause that they'll at least be safe in that regard as they fight the fight the virus off and they shed it um mm-hmm. but i don't know about college basketball as a whole like it's too it's too hard to say i wouldn't be surprised if if uh if we do go on some kind of a pause um just to let the wave do its thing and yeah um let it go you know because you just can't control that stuff you know what i mean and so trying to play through it you're almost just you know, you're, it's almost like you're playing chicken, you know. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see a pause. I would be shocked to see a cancellation of the season because I just think there's too much financial incentive to try to figure out a way to play it that they'll – I don't think they'll ever cancel another NCAA tournament. I don't – it would it would need to be catastrophic. Like, Well, we all know money talks. We know the first time around they, did, they definitely didn't want to cancel all these games, all these tournaments. Remember, we had the boys playing in Madison Square before at halftime. They got pulled off the court and told that, you know, they were going to cancel that game for health and safety reasons, obviously. A couple of major differences between what happened back in 2020 and what's happening now. We didn't have a vaccine back then. This was a right. completely unknown disease to us. Obviously, a couple of years down the line, we've done more research. We have vaccines available. I think it was on your Twitter, actually, that I saw that both men's and women's teams are fully vaccinated coming into this season. And obviously, now you're talking about boosters and whatnot. I'm actually in line to get my boosters in January. I'm anxiously waiting for that. When I was in Lithuania last year, I didn't have a chance to get my vaccine. So I had to wait until I go back into Omaha this summer. So they're giving me that six-month window. Obviously, that'll be January for me to be vaccinated. But like you said, you've been someone that's encouraged vaccines. I'm certainly been someone that's encouraged vaccines as well. So as long as, you know, we're trying to do it the safest way possible, the mm-hmm. financial incentives will make it so that in your mind, there's no chance that they're going to want to cancel their moneymaker, which is Mark Fandis, correct? Yeah. I, well, the other part of it is too, like, you, you know, this. Well, I mean, the CDC coming out and cutting down the quarantine day from five days to 10 without, without requiring a negative test, just kind of like, basically they said if you're feeling better you know put on a mask and go do your thing right (laughs) so i mean that's basically punting in my opinion but you know that certainly opens that that gives you know uh entities like the ncaa some runway to you know have their seasons right so um, same with the nfl nba nhl all that sort of thing so i mean i think from that standpoint because of those parameters that are in place right now, unless those change, that's why it would be shocking to see a cancel a mass cancellation like that, because there just isn't that there aren't any protocols in place that yet to even get to that point. Like we're, we're, we're quite a few steps away from that. So a pause wouldn't shock me because the infection rate in the country is um, I think higher than it's ever been and and still climbing. Um, Mm -hmm. So from that degree, it's problematic, but we're not, I don't think we're close to a cancellation yet. Before we move on to our next topic, let me tell you guys a little bit about our partners over at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up yet with Bet Rivers, now's the time because they're offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is that they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash money. With their new Rush Pay instant approval, withdrawing your winnings is safer, more secure, and more reliable. With basketball season tipping off, get in on the action by going to betrivers.com today 
or by downloading the Bet Rivers iOS app. Must be 21 years or older. Gambling problem? Call telephone number 1-800-GAMBLER. From my experience, I just want to go back a little bit to the couple of postponed games that we've had. Obviously, uh, we were supposed to host Georgetown and then, or sorry, yeah, host Georgetown and go on the road at DePaul. Both those games got postponed. From my experience, when you're coming off of an emotional big win, like the one that we had against Villanova, yeah. that win could kind of like bolster your entire locker room and lead to like some momentum that could carry you throughout the season, especially in the early part where for a young team like we have, we're still trying to figure out who we are, the right way to play on a night in, night out basis. The J momentum kind of got cut off a little bit uh, and they weren't able to build on that. So if you are the players in the locker room, the coaching staff, what do you do with this upcoming game that we have against Marquette's schedule? Lord knows if that's going to be postponed or not, we'll see. Uh, but how do you kind of build off the, I guess, lack of momentum that you would have had after that Villanova game? I don't, that's the thing. I don't know if you can anymore. I think it's just too far in the rearview mirror, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're closer to the rematch with Nova than they are the first game right now. <laughs> that's right. right. Yeah, they play against Nova so, right yeah. after the Marquette game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if that's part of the process anymore. I think it's obviously, I think, you know, it just becomes very specific. Like, you look at the film, you take the good and the bad, you try to learn from it. But in terms of just um, harnessing you know, that good vibe that you guys were feeling, that the team was feeling from that way. And I don't, I think that's gone. Like, I just think that the time's passed. They haven't had any opportunity to, 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 uh, you know, use that as a catapult. I think it's just, you know, they went on Christmas break and Mac extended the break this year because they did have the Georgetown game get canceled on the other end of it. So they didn't come back on Christmas night like they normally do. I know those Christmas, lucky those bastards. Christmas lucky guys. <laughs> Golly, man. You mean they didn't spend Christmas night at you mean that didn't no happen? man? You don't remember see if I were ever write about a Christmas Day practice, like they would think Creighton is the worst team in the country. And you know what that's like as a player. Like those are the worst practices of the year. Like yeah, none of you are in shape, none of you are like sharp, and it's just a mess, right? So yeah, they got they so they had an extended break, so they came back um a little bit later and then I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming based on how Mac operates, right. is like, there were probably, you know, two or three practices just on themselves. Maybe the coaching staff identified some, some areas of improvement that needed to happen. And they took advantage of that for a couple of days before they kind of in on their preparation for Marquette specifically. So yeah, it just feels like it's a different part of the season right now. I don't even know if the Villanova game is, it's just too far in the rear view mirror for them to come out against Marquette feeling good about how they played last game. I think it's just going to be a completely blank slate in my opinion. One thing I do love about uh, coach Mack, you just mentioned it right there is he will literally assign practices where he'll say guys like today is the day where we get to work on us. Mm-hmm. So it does kind of like take away that aspect of, okay, who do we have coming next? What do we need to do to prepare against them? But like it really allows the team to focus on the mistakes that we've done, what we can do to be better in the future, you know, and what we what can we do to like forget about you know some of the bad stuff that we've done in the past. So, in your assumption, you're saying that the extra days that Coach Mack had because of this delay is really going to be beneficial for the boys because he has had a chance to really focus on themselves, really own in on what they need to do to get better as a team, and you know who they need to play through, all that stuff that they really need to work out as Big East play continues. I, I mean, I do think so because I think you even if you go back, just you know, look at the schedule and find times where they didn't have like 
um, a game, a rest day, a practice, and then another game, right? Mm-hmm. Where they where they've had those like four day gaps, right? They, they've gotten better from that. You've seen like some market improvement. I mean, I think they had a, a an extra day before they played Nebraska, right? Coming off of uh, Kennesaw State, yeah. And that first that first Sunday night, they didn't even really do much on Nebraska. They just kind of worked on getting their pace more to their liking. And you, I think you saw it against Nebraska. Like they came out guns blazing. Um, the BYU until that eighteen three run or whatever that Nebraska put on them. But I mean, let's yeah, let's forget was, about that. That was some superhuman <laughs> stuff. Yeah, that, 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 a little bit of a storm. A little bit of a storm. Um, yeah. But yeah, and then the BYU game was another was another time where they had some some days in between to kind of focus on themselves before dealing with the Cougars. So, like, I just think, you know, with especially with this team that's not only are they young in a lot of areas, but they're inexperienced with each other, you know, because even the, even the experienced players like Alex O'Connell, Ryan Hawkins are, A, playing different roles or, in Hawkins's case, playing at a different level, and they're also playing with new teammates. So, I mean, the whole thing is new. I don't think there's one word to describe it. Like, youth is too sim- simplistic. Like, not everybody is young on this team but they're just there's a building process with this thing you certainly know what that's like right especially in this system when you play so fast the chemistry is like the magic you know once you're playing at that speed like that 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 knowing where everybody's supposed to be one step ahead of the the play is kind of how it unlocks itself right so um i think that that this break is going to give create an opportunity to improve and i'm curious to see how they come out because there, there probably will be some rust because of the time off they've had, but I, I do wonder how much of a jump they're able to make with this team because I think every opportunity to to practice is an opportunity for them to get a little bit better um, before they face a new opponent, you know? I guess since you mentioned it, it's something I was going to ask a little bit later on in the podcast, but you kind of brought it up right now so we could just kind of get into it. You mentioned like the speed that Coach Mack would like these guys to play at. This is a pretty young team sprinkling some experiences from obviously Ryan Hawkins, Alex Connell, you mentioned it. Carl Brenner, who seems like he's the elder statement of the team is just a sophomore, having played more of a backup role last year. I remember in my situation, my freshman year coming in, we still had some of, you know, Coach Altman's guys who were still on Coach Mack's roster. Uh, We kind of played at a not weird pace, but it wasn't to the liking that Coach Mack liked it up until the CBI where he just kind of threw out the drawing board and, and just started from scratch and told us to go as fast as we possibly can. And even then from growing pains, even leading up to my sophomore year, mm. have you been pretty impressed? Even if those guys have been looked, you know, like they know exactly what they're supposed to be doing all the time. They certainly don't look like world beaters every single day, but have you been at least pretty impressive how quickly they picked up coach Max system with the pace of play that coach Mac is trying to get them to play at. Yeah. I think there, there was a point maybe in the year where just, you know, the spacing just looked like it was a little bit of a mess. And I think that's, that's problematic because you do have a roster of guys who, who can play downhill. Right. So if your spacing's messed up, you're not allowing them to, you know, get into seams and then get into the paint, set your feet, make a play for a teammate, get the ball, get the defense rotating, all that kind of thing that, that creates that chain reaction 
that eventually leads mm-hmm. to an open three on the backside, right? So, um, yeah, I, I th- so far I've been impressed with them, honestly. Like I did not, I did not foresee them housing Nova. I did not, um, you know, BYU maybe had an has it. I don't know what BYU is going to be like with their injuries situation, but I didn't see them controlling that game to that degree. Even Nebraska, like I didn't. I thought that game would be more of a game in the sixties, more of a rock fight type of game. Like it was played at Creighton's pace. They got the shots they wanted. Um, They didn't turn the ball over much. So I think that's the thing. Like turnovers have been a problem, but I think I thought it was going to be something that would be a little bit of an ebb and flow because they play so fast that mistakes are going to happen. And I think we've seen it with every single team that's gone through, you know, the max cycle, right? Like, when they're young, there's a lot of mistakes. And then, like, those mistakes slowly dwindle away and you start to see the genius of the system, right, because everybody starts to figure it out. Um, and then you just make – and then there's a bunch of guys who are just on the same page and they're playing smart basketball, and then the beauty of it comes out, right? Like, you know what that's like. So, yeah, I, I honestly, this team has made jumps that I didn't think they were going to make this early. So – you know, the pause is unfortunate because I was really curious to see how they would build off that Villanova game, you know, coming right off of a Arizona state game where it was just a clunker. They didn't play all that great, but you know, it still had a chance to win it. And I'm sure they were, I know they were upset that they lost that game more so than they were after Colorado state and after Iowa state, you know what I mean? It just, it hit a little bit different. So to see the way they responded against Villanova was really interesting because I think this team is really talented. So I know maybe they're not a trendy pick to make the NCAA tournament and possibly make some noise, but their talent level to me always seemed like it should be given more of a benefit of the doubt because of the coaching staff's history, right? Mac and everybody, but they're, you know, they were still picked like bottom of the big East, you know, not expected to do much. It's like, Hey Matt, your bias is top five recruiting classes. Like, Come on now, like give the man some love here. Like he's not just like there have been a lot of good players in his in his program, but it's not all just like Mac getting lucky, you know, with these guys. Like there's there's some magic to it, right? So I don't know. I'm I, I have been impressed with them though so far. I expect them to get even better as the year goes on if they if, if they stay healthy. So there's definitely a method to Coach Mac's madness for sure. Uh, like you said, it is kind of like a cyclical thing where. He gets the guys in, they're pretty young, they're figuring it out. Before you know it, they do figure out they're juniors and seniors and they're really making noise uh, in the biggies and also like potential to go far in the NCAA tournament. We just saw it last year with the boys making their Sweet 16 for the first time in however long, right? Uh, I see a big potential future for this uh, class. You know, obviously we're going to lose O'Connell after this year. We're going to lose Hawkins after this year. but if these guys stick together, it really reminds me of the class that I had where, you know, second, third, fourth year, like we really figure it out where we're clicking on all cylinders. You kind of foresee that for this group as well. Yeah, I don't know if there's a three-time All-American on the roster, but... Uh... <laughs> I don't think so either. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll I mean, see. I, would love to, I would love to surprise a bit, but... Yeah, there was a point in Doug's freshman year where no one even thought he should shoot the ball anymore. So we'll, we'll see who makes a jump. But yeah, I think, you know... I love, you know, the thing about the Villanova game is I love the way they did it because it wasn't just like they came out and, you know, buried 15 threes and Nova couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, right? Like 
they were really disciplined and they've done that multiple times this year where they're just super disciplined defensively. They're making the right plays on offense. They're, they're not, you know, trying to take over, you know, be heroes out there. And because they think they're the most talented player with the ball at the moment. Like, I just think they, they understand how to play together. And I think they've gotten better at that as the year has gone on. And the Villanova game, like, Jay, you know this. Like, you know, to beat Villanova, you have to be so locked focused. in. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's unbelievable, dude. They, it, it, and I, I tell people this all the time. Like, if, if you – if Creighton and Villanova is in town, you need to get there like an hour early and watch that team warm up. They are like a military operation. And it just shows you how disciplined they are, you know? Like, they've got – they're like machine-like. And that's how disciplined you have to be to beat them. And to beat them by – to house them like that, you know what I mean? You have to almost be mistake-free. You can't you can't leave your feet on a single shot fake because they're going to do it to you over and over again. I think I charted it. I went back and watched it. I was like, Villanova shot fake 29 times in the game. Creighton and it fell for two, two of them. them. Yeah, I, that's another – look, you guys, if you guys don't A young them, team, can you imagine that? that? Right now. <laughs> yeah. Jay, like, you know how hard that is, right? Like, yeah. imagine you're a freshman and you're just like, oh, I'm guarding Colin Gillespie. Like, holy crap. Um, you know, how do you how do you keep yourself so calm and focused that you don't bite on all of his nonsense and let him get by you? You know what I mean? Well, so, to let you know Trey how Alexander, to let you know how difficult it is, uh, James Bell, who now plays in Poland, we played his team a couple, a few games ago, and I bid for one of his shot picks out here. So it's see? like those Villanova guys, they, they know exactly what to do, right? <laughs> I mean, Kyle O'Reilly's been getting NBA dudes for a minute on that stuff. Like for you know a I mean? minute, for yeah. what, 13, 14 plus years yeah. now? Yeah, it's 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 hard. So to see Trey Alexander just like stay on his feet, Roddy Andronikashvili stay on his feet, Ryan Nemhard, um, you know, Hawkins won the battle against Jermaine Samuels. Like Ryan Kalkbenner inside, like a, a shot blocker like him just never mm-hmm. bid on it. And it was so impressive. And I think that's, that just shows you their ceiling a little bit, you know? So I, I certainly think there's going to be more inconsistencies ahead because they are just still, again, it's, it's, it's an inexperienced group. Um, but that Nova game, man, that, that, that was a big like eye opener because you have to be, you have to be really locked in to beat a team like that. They just, they're too, they, they get you, you only need to make one little mistake. And, you know, if you watch the two times where, creating bit on shot fakes it wasn't like they left their feet like flying through the air it was a little mm-hmm. bit of a subtle move forward on the on the on the balls of their toes and nova's like bye see ya uncontested right. you know what i mean they don't need much to beat you on that so 27 out of 29 on staying down like that's that's brilliant stuff and i think it shows you you know what their true potential really is it's one of those things that doesn't really show up on the stat sheet, but it certainly affects the aura of the game as you're playing it. Uh, one guy that I've had my eye on all season that I've been waiting to make a big step is Ryan Kalkbrenner. And he's finally game by game showing me and much Jays fans something to be really, really excited about. Are we on the brink of seeing Ryan Kalkbrenner coming to his own on both sides of the ball offensively and defensively? Because defensively, we already know how how much of a nightmare he can be for opposing offensive players who come into the paint. But offensively, now we're seeing him show some emotion. We're seeing him being strong with the ball, finishing with N1s, getting offensive rebounds. And when he doesn't get it, he has the ability to slap it back to another Jays player on the perimeter. So are we on the brink of seeing Cogrunner really come into his own? 
dude, if we're on the brink, that's going to be scary. Like, I feel like it's hardy here. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, like I was, I was looking at it the other day actually, because I haven't checked in a minute, but, um, inside five feet, like defense, right. That interiors, normally that's a, that's a soft spot in Creighton's defense, right? Like they want to keep, mm-hmm. they want to keep teams away from that area because they really, they usually can't defend it, you know, whether it's offensive rebounds or just guys getting downhill, you know, I mean, look at the last, look at the uh, last year's loss to Butler. Like when Aaron Thompson got in the paint, it was like open season on Creighton's defense. You, you know, that's just a, it's always been a little bit of a soft spot in terms of, you know, protecting the rim with undersized guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year, Culpepper has been crazy, man. There, I, I have to, I don't have the year by year with me right now, but um, I do know Creighton's shooting sixty-seven percent on the offensive end inside five feet, and they're allowing teams to shoot forty-five percent. So think about that disparity. You know what I mean? And you're talking about a team that hasn't shot the ball all that well from the three yet. So you have to make up points somewhere in order to be successful. Right. It's all, it's at the end of the day, it's math, right? Like you're, you're out there playing, but you got to, at the end of the day, you got to figure out how to put more points on the board than the other team in some way. If you're not, if you're not knocking down your threes, it's got to be in the paint or at the free throw line for sure. Exactly. Exactly. And, and the zero and the inside five feet, like the way synergy charts it too, is they, they can, they count how many times you foul somebody and send them to the line. Mm-hmm. in terms of their point potential. So, like, the disparity right now for Creighton is crazy. Like, they are unbelievably hard to score on inside, and they're really good at finishing in there as well and getting to the free throw line themselves. So, yeah, with it, and I feel like it's just, it, you know, with Kaufman on the floor, it's crazy. Like, that, what was the one possession where Eric Dixon for Villanova, Villanova's big man, I, I mean, I swear oh, he was that- – yeah, <laughs> you talking about the circle? Yeah. He was in the paint for twenty seconds. He took two shots. It was both like that. That is that's, 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 like, that's like dad rebound. and son driveway stuff. You know what I'm saying? That's he, like father. He got son an offensive rebound. He pump faked. He like tried to get a on his feet. Didn't work. Circled around once, twice. Pump faked him again. Carpenter blocked the shot. Got another offensive rebound. Circled yeah. twice again. Tried to get another one. And Carpenter affected that shot again. Yeah, I. You know what my setup looks like, right? I was in my bed just laughing because I was like, oh, we got them. <laughs> Look at what they're resorting to. This is what those of us resorting to to get a bucket yeah. and they still can't get it. That was unbelievable. I, I was laughing my ass off during that. It's, it was crazy, man. So, like, yeah, he's <laughs> he's special. Like, um, And I think the, it's the way he does it, too. It's a little bit old school, right? Like, you know, most shot blockers, you know, you just get in the paint and it's like, okay, I'm just – swinging away like he just stays mm-hmm. down on his feet he stays he keeps his base you know really really good and strong so he can't get moved out of the way and he doesn't like you know sell out for blocks he'll just use his length you know he, i don't even mm-hmm. know if he cares about blocking it that much as much as he just wants to bother it you know i think he figures with his size like you already have to put it on a crazy yeah. trajectory to get it over him in the first place so you know, you'll see him, you know, for as many shots as he's blocked this year, I mean, the, the amount he's altered is way higher. You know, it's, it's got to be two, two or three times higher because, you know, just the way he uses his, his footwork is great, and then the way he just bothers shots is really impressive. So it's, an, it's a crazy weapon for Creighton defensively. Um, and when you, when you pair it with their discipline on the perimeter that they've showed so far uh, – you know, it's they can they can be really good on the end of the floor, and I think it's the reason that I think I you might want to 
at least consider raising their ceiling a little bit because the offense, I think we know is going to come, don't we? Like that's the one thing that we feel like always figures itself out eventually as you, as the guys play with each other more often and just get more reps together. Um, the defensive end of the floor is usually where they have to figure out some tricks to get themselves by. But this year they have just, you know, they have the ability to be more salty defensively while the offense comes. And, you know, I think you're going to see games where, you know, it's a little bit ugly for maybe 15 minutes and then pop, here comes a, you know, a 12-2 run just because Creighton's still getting stops and then the shots start to fall. And I think that's going to make mm-hmm. a difference for them in some of these games because I expect a lot of these games in the league to be close. You talked about some of the shots that he's altered, uh, not necessarily the shots that he's blocked, but how about some of the shots that he's just flat out discouraged? It kind of gives yeah. me Gregory Echenique vibes a little bit where, like, I would force guys to the baseline. And because he saw Big G down there, they're like, I don't even want to drive down there and, and have to meet the big fella. So, yeah, his impact, obviously, it goes far more than what the the scoreboard shows. But the stats that he's putting up still defensively is well, pretty damn dude, do you good. Remember the, do you remember the BYU game, how dominant he was in the first half, right? Like, yeah. there was a point in the second half where he was on the bench. He was getting a breather. And BYU was like driving inside and like, and they were still like kind of afraid. They thought he was still there. Right. It's like, there's like, there's like a, it was like in the, it's like, wait, oh, he's on the bench. Damn it. I should have gone for that later. Right. Like, you know what I mean? So it's not just, all you do is get a couple and then it's like, it sticks with them for 40 minutes. Like they think he's always there. That kind of reminds me of, you remember when Sims was the uh, Buffalo, oh, we're going old school right now, Buffalo Bills quarterback, and he was playing as Lawrence Taylor in the New York Giants. Okay. And he called a timeout because he was trying to check out the line of scrimmage who was going to block LT. <laughs> and then he realized that LT was oh. on the sideline getting a drink, but he LT made a waste of timeout because, you know, you have like guys yeah. who are just attacking you like that. You have to figure out ways to block them, right? So mm-hmm. I guess that's a little bit of what BYU felt with Carbon. He's over there on the sideline getting a drink of water from Ben McNair. But yeah. everyone's just double pumping in the paint because they still feel his presence. So mm-hmm. that's kind of unbelievable. That was the, when, when he was on the bench and they were still shaky in, in, when they were driving inside. I'm like, oh, man, this guy's like creating nightmares right, right now. Like that's that was next level. Uh, all you sports fans, go back and look at Phil Sims calling a timeout. As a- <laughs> That is the funniest thing. You literally see him at the line of scrimmage checking to see, like, to check his protection coverage, you know? And then he realizes that LT is on the bench, but he still calls a timeout because, like, at that point, the play clock was winding down. It's it's an awesome click to find if you if you have time on your hands. And then if I knew LT was uh, playing against me, I'd retire probably. Um, <laughs> like, no, I'm good. It's been fun. Not worth it. I've already made enough money. Yeah, exactly. We have to talk about this upcoming game versus Marquette. You know, their opponent on the Blue Jay slate. Uh, they've lost four of the last five. Uh, lost to Wisconsin, beat Kansas State, then lost to UCLA, Xavier, and UConn back to back to back. But freshman Justin Lewis leads in points and rebounds as a 6 7 forward. What are you expecting to see from a Marquette team who, you know, they have uh, coach? Mart, right? Am I Shaka? Yeah, Shaka. Yeah. Uh, coming back from the Texas Longhorns is his first year in the program. Uh, what do you expect to see from a Shaka Smart led team? Um, I don't know. I don't know if this is the right way to answer it, but I don't know if I expect anything because they're kind of chaotic a little bit. And I think that's where they want to be. Like that's probably their sweet spot because I don't know if they want a game that's being dictated by the traditional 
you know, bring the ball up, execute some stuff. I just think they want the ball. I just think they want to create a bunch of open floor situations. Havoc. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Havoc for yeah. sure. Like that. I mean, they play that way. Like there's mm-hmm. going to be some things that Creighton has to worry about. You know, Justin Lewis has been, you know, I think he's taken a step in his sophomore year here. He's a little bit more versatile. Uh, you do have to worry about him a little bit on the perimeter. Um, and then obviously he's a beast inside. Like he just, he's got like a nose for the ball. He just always has his hand on it somehow. So even if you're, you know, if you, if you don't know if you're accounted for him, you got to make sure you find him because he'll get easy points off offensive rebounds that way. So, you know, I don't know. It's just going to, it's going to be chaos. I'm going to be curious to see how Creighton comes out. Cause I think if they can take care of the ball, um, that's that's priority number one through five in my opinion. I think they'll get good shots against Marquette, and then all it'll just be about if they can knock them down or not. But I think Marquette's gonna have a tough time scoring inside against Kalkbrenner, so that's gonna be so. Can Marquette figure out how to manufacture points when it's not as easy inside? They've really struggled from the three point line. Um, I mean, I think that UCLA game was really ugly, and but they don't they don't mind shooting them. That's the thing they play without fear, but then they kind of get themselves out of games by doing it in that way. So mm-hmm. I don't. I think it's gonna be a game where if if you know if Kalkbrenner's on his game and affecting things inside Marquette's going to struggle to score. And if Creighton takes care of the ball, I just like their chances better of, of creating good offense out of that. So um, we'll see like Daryl, Daryl Morcel for Marquette is like their best player right now. And he's certainly one of the best defenders in the big East. So he, him not being available, his availability being up in the air is a, is going to be an interesting um, part of this game. Um, because what can he disrupt? Like, can he, can he slow down Ryan Hawkins? Uh, can he stop? Can he fluster Ryan Nemhard? Like he's got versatility defensively to be disruptive in that regard. Um, so he's a big piece for them. If he's not there, you know, Creighton's going to throw a lot at Marquette, a lot of weapons. So if they take care of the ball, I don't know how Marquette defends that. So it'll be interesting to see because, you know, you just don't know what you expect coming off a break like this, right? Like, What's the mindset of a player coming off of a pause like this? It's almost like your season's starting over, isn't it? Like, yeah, it, it's it's the weirdest like mid-season pause too, because like you kind of get into a flow of games and whatever, and it's just like back to back to back or back to back games that are just postponed. It's like, what do you do in the meanwhile? We talk about Coach Mack and his approach in situations like this, but does it really, you know, simulate the game-like atmosphere that is going to happen? In my yeah. opinion, you mentioned it earlier in the podcast. You just kind of mentioned it again right now. Crane's going to have to take care of the ball. We saw how much they struggle against that Arizona State team, which, you know, if you know anything about Shaka Smart and the way that he's made his name is high, high pressure defensive uh, players who know how to play together and rotate, cause havoc defensively, get turnovers and get in transition, try to get easy buckets. So I would assume that's the kind of mentality that he's brought over to the Marquette uh, team. I, I had a chance to watch a couple of their games earlier this year too it looks like that's what they're trying to get to haven't gotten there yet but taking care of the ball has to be priority number one for the Jays if they really want to walk out of Milwaukee with a victory yeah like I mean I I can't remember if you've played a team like that but you know Marquette just wants the ball that's Mm -hmm. that's their defensive strategy go get the ball like (laughs) yeah go get the ball back (laughs) yeah go get the ball back like whether we hit a shot whether we like whatever happened on the offensive end go get the ball back and they'll do it they'll try to get it back from 94 from baseline to baseline. So you can't ever take your, you can't lose focus and assume 
this little inbounds pass is easy or, or this little swing pass is easy because they're always trying to get it back. You know what I mean? If you think you've got an easy little outlet, like you better make sure that window's open because if Marquette gets one hand on it, there's five dogs running after it right there, like quick. Right. Like they, 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 they're ball hawkers. That's what they are. They all want it back. So I can't remember if like, you know, what is, what, if you could break it down, what it's like from an offensive mindset to counter that. Cause I don't know if you played a team like that. I can't remember, but that's what it's going to be like for the Jays. I'm trying to think about it as well. Like, I don't know if I remember playing too many teams that would just full court press us like that, or like even half court press us. But I do remember some teams who did more strategically, like Northwestern my sophomore year, they had that high one, three, one that made it mm. a bitch mm. to get over half and to like get a quality shot up. Uh, Seton Hall, my senior year, had a little bit of a one, three, one look that did that uh, with us too. And, and defensive player of the year that year, I forgot. I- I'm blanking on his name. Oh, uh, but. Uh... Dang it, I know who you're talking about too. Steals master. I, see, right? I, I, I should remember his name because he he basically got defensive player of the year because of he had like 2.5 steals a game or something mm-hmm. like that. And nobody even came close to that in the Big East. And I was subscribed to the ideology of like good defense, meaning man-to-man defense, meaning staying in front of your guys, should get you a defensive player of the year award, which I thought I got snubbed off <laughs> my senior year. So yeah, I should remember that guy's name, but I've completely forgotten that's okay too. You and, um, you and yeah. Tyshawn can record a podcast of like just your greatest defensive oh, hits. Oh like, man, me and, and you guys me can just Tyshawn, get mad. We would like, bond, how do we not we would, this year? We would bond over that. Like, how is like good defensive possessions on like multiple defensive trips not what rewards you as mm-hmm. opposed to like blocks or steals? Which I feel like Tyshawn got more steals than I did for sure. I know Kyrie got more steals than I did, yeah. but yeah, Kyrie for sure. At that point, I was just trying to focus on making sure I give those guys tough shots and, you know, don't let them do basically any – whatever their average was going into the game, my goal is always to keep them a couple points underneath that. Like, I felt like if I did that, then we'd giving ourselves a pretty good shot to win. But long story short, I haven't – I don't <laughs> yeah, you remember. Were, yeah, you were good at it. You were good at it. You, were, <laughs> you, can, you can sell yourself if you want. I don't, I don't remember facing teams that would, like, up the pressure on us the way that I feel like Marquette did or Arizona State did against the boys a couple of games ago. Um, but I, I do remember facing those teams that would do it in more of a strategic way. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, for sure. A yeah. uh, couple of games after this Marquette game, not to look too far ahead, but it's, it's a stretch of games that if you're a Blue Jay fan, you're really paying attention to. We already mentioned that they got their next date against Villanova right after. This time it'll be in Philly. We got Providence at home and then on the road at Xavier. Uh, as of the recording of this podcast, all those teams are currently ranked in the top 25. What do the boys need to do to, you know, keep a successful stretch of games going? Yeah, I don't know. Because I, I, I told myself going into the year that I wasn't going to judge this team on wins and losses. So <laughs> it, it's tough. So here's the thing. I've, exerc- I've been saying on this podcast over and over again, exercise patience. Like if there's yeah. two words that the listeners have heard all year long, it's just to exercise patience. But they do stuff like beat Nova at home by 20. Yeah. That makes you be like, hey, we win the big <laughs> I know. I was, <laughs> I swear to God, I was thinking about it last night, Jay. I was watching, uh, who was I watching? Oh, I was watching like Seton Hall in Providence, right? And uh, I actually texted uh, uh, Rob Anderson and Johnny Atawa. We have a little group chat and I was texting. And I was like, 
if I ask you who the most talented team in the Big East is and who the best team in the Big East is, would your answer be different? Don't you like, do you know what I'm saying? Uh, 110%. <laughs> but hey, guess what? I feel that way the majority of years. I don't feel like Villanova always has quote unquote the best talent, mm-hmm. but I feel like because of their culture, the way that they're coached, they're right obviously let's give him all the flowers that he deserves he's a brilliant coach he's yeah. already a hall of famer right if i'm not mistaken yeah. so it's like yeah they're going to be a great team but sometimes i look at the landscape of the big east i'm just like i feel like there's some teams who are more talented than Nova, maybe not as disciplined maybe not as military-like in their approach you already mentioned their pre-game yeah. warm-ups yeah. and stuff like that but that villanova team is coached up to the fullest they know their roles and they play right to their roles to the best of their ability night in night out and that is what has given them success yeah and it, but it got me thinking about your question here that you just asked like i was thinking like how far away is creighton from being in that like best team conversation like is it i told myself like you're not judging this thing on wins and losses because it's not fair to them but is <laughs> it crazy to think after what we've seen so far it sounds it doesn't sound crazy anymore like i don't think you can do that to villanova and not be one of the best teams in the league I just don't think you can. I don't think you're capable of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> like, because they'll like that's that's you know. So I think they're closer than maybe we're giving them credit for. So that's why I'm curious to see how they come out of this pause. Because the Marquette game on the road is going to be really difficult. It's going to present a lot of challenges because Marquette's going to play a style that they. It's just it's going to create so many unpredictable variables um, mm-hmm. for them to deal with, and then they have to go right to Nova again. And if you know anything about Villanova, they're extremely vindictive. Like, if a team gets them, they whip their ass. Like, yeah. so they're going to be Tra- Traditionally, blood. not all the time, but traditionally. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go! Let's go! <laughs> I, I walked right into that one. I wasn't even thinking yeah, you about did. it. And yeah, I like, that, it. that rematch in Omaha it. was ugly, too. That's, that's right. But it was, it was. It. <laughs> but it was funny because, like, the rematch in Omaha was so different than the first game. They didn't let you guys get anything from three. And they're like, hey, if you guys can attack seams and finish at the rim and uh, and Doug can operate that way, be our guest. And you guys did. So Jay right after that was like, yeah, this team's just going to kick our ass every time we play them because we have no answer for it. So um, it was a little bit different. You scored one-on-one, but it was different. You know what I mean? It was an right. entirely different game. Uh, and that first game, you're talking about my 25th or 2014, sorry, senior year. We went to Nova, set the then Big East record for three-pointers made in a game. Uh, and it was a completely different game plan when we played them again in Omaha. Uh, they were trying to, like, double Doug and all that stuff, not let him go off. And obviously, Ethan made him pay. I made him pay. Uh, everybody basically came in and knocked down threes. And then the second time around, it's like, we're not knocking down nearly as many threes, but they decided, let's get... The, let's allow Doug to get his and let's try to shut off everybody else's water didn't really work too well because <laughs> no. we were getting a one-on-one alternatives like I didn't even score like little known fact I even score in that second game at home but everybody was getting theirs like it, it was in, insane so, Gibbs, like you said yeah like Zierden had a good like, game yeah, yeah Devin Brooks came off the bench and provided a hell of a spark you know everybody came in and contributed uh, but it was a totally different game plan. And like you said, I think Jay Wright just basically kind of threw his hands up in the air. Like, what, what do we have to do with this particular team? But mm-hmm. you are right that traditionally, 
hopefully they do get the revenge if they end up losing a game. I'm just saying, you know, tradition doesn't always uh, follow through here. <laughs> For sure. No, I, yeah, I didn't mean any disrespect on the J. Sorry about Hell that. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting because that's a challenge, right? Because mm-hmm. it's different if you're like, I think Creighton was maybe smarting a little bit from that Arizona State loss. Like they were probably, they probably had an edge to them. Like, hey, you know, we let that one get away and we shouldn't have. And, you know, Nova's going to come in and think of their Nova. Like it's probably easier to play with an edge when you think you're the underdog, I, you know, but Nova's going to have that edge with them in this rematch because, mm-hmm. you know, Creighton dog walked them basically. And they're like, that's not, you know, we want to let this team know that's not okay. So Nova's not going to be taking Creighton lightly in any regard. And it'll be challenging for the Jays in that aspect because Villanova is super experienced. They've been through so many of these games. Honestly, they were struggling with Xavier. Like, and then all of a sudden, it's just the game flipped on just simple stuff like boxing out, um, turnovers, empty possessions for Xavier. And then all of a sudden, Nova starts getting threes going. And then here comes their confidence and their swagger. And it's a snowball effect, you know? So this is a challenging stretch for Creighton. Uh, Not getting to ride that momentum into Chicago to play DePaul or to get Georgetown at home, you know, it hurts that, that, that momentum that they had for sure. So we'll see how they play against Marquette because they think they need to get something, a performance where they're feeling good about themselves again to springboard off of it at some point in this year. um, If they're going to raise their ceiling to the point where that Nova game doesn't look like a fluke, it looks like more of the what to expect type of situation, you know? And then obviously we can never sleep on an Ed Cooley coach team. And then Xavier, so for whatever well right reason, now, yeah, Xavier, for whatever reason, is another team that just always gives us trouble at their place or at our place. If it's not J.P. McCora, it's D. Davis, in my opinion, mm. or, or during my era, and, you know, Samaj Christian in my era too. Like yeah. there's always someone on, on Xavier that just really gives us trouble. So, It'll be fun games to watch. It'll be exciting games to watch. Obviously, I can't. I'm looking forward to watching. Let's just hope that you know we can handle COVID a little bit, and that doesn't really get into way for some good. Yeah, let's just play some games. Like that's what I mean. Yeah, let's just play some games. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, We we definitely have to talk about the women's uh, team too. Uh, They've been playing some really good basketball as of late, especially in this month of December. They've only lost one game. That was South Dakota by two. A game that I feel like they should have won in my opinion, but nonetheless unable to squeak that one out in the end uh the last three games to be providence uh, sorry lost by two to south Dakota. like i said they'd be providence and arkansas they're currently sitting at eight and three overall but are three and oh in big east play what has been the key to their success so far this season we are i i was on your podcast when we talked about their loss against nebraska right yep. uh and since then they've really kind of coached plan and the staff has really turned things around a little bit and the girls are playing with a lot more confidence. What have you seen from them that's allowed them to have so much success? Well, the first thing and the most important thing is Flan's going casual now, so he's not wearing the dress shirt anymore. So that's obviously huge. been huge. It's been huge <laughs> for their success. Uh... <laughs> hey, look, Flan, I love you. You're more than welcome to come on the podcast, brother. We got to talk about the uh, the oversized shirt that's tucked into the pants. We got to talk about it. <laughs> We, that's been your staff I'm gonna let him know. He should hit you up it. for some fashion advice. I think you'd be a good conduit for him. I, I really or, do. Or or just go across the street to Championship Center and talk to Coach Mack and him. 
that? <laughs> John McHugh will get him right. John McHugh will get him exactly. Right. Um, yeah, no, that Arkansas game was, you know, as much as Villanova was kind of an eye opener for the men, I don't know if Arkansas was a bigger one for the women because, you know, it's on the road. It's in a place where Arkansas doesn't lose at Bud Walton Arena, you know, like, um, and then you just watch the way they did it too. Like the first half, it was from the perimeter. Mm-hmm. You know, they hit 10 threes. They were getting good looks. They were generating good looks and knocking them down. And in the second half, almost without like thinking about it, Arkansas really heated up the perimeter, right? And I think Creighton maybe expected them to do that. If they did or not, they countered it right away. I mean, they were they were setting pick. They, I mean, you had Carly Bachelor and Morgan Malley and, you know, Emma Ronsek you know, in, involved in pick and rolls. Um, you know, they were back cutting Arkansas to death off those just, you know, Morgan Malley, who you have to account for on the three-point line. I think she had a couple back cut baskets. Rachel Saunders did after hitting a three early in the game. Um, Carly Bachelor had a bunch of them. So I, the thing that stood out to me from, you know, even the South Dakota game into Providence, into Arkansas, is this is a really, really good offensive team that Flan has right mm-hmm. now. It might be, if it's not his best Offensive oh, team from you, a talent standpoint. You're going hyperbolic right now. You have if it's not his either. best, it's his <laughs> smartest. Like, because they play, okay. it's the, the way, the type of shots they generate, you can see that they understand the game. You know what I mean? It's not like they're just passing the ball around the perimeter and then someone shoots it. You know, like there's a purpose to everything they do. And I think it's re- it really starts with Tatum Rembaugh. She's playing unbelievably right now. You know, her assistant turnover ratio, I think, is 64 to 20. And I went back, you know, years, like, I think I went back like 10, 12 years to try to find somebody who was even close. And I think Sydney Lamberty is the only one. And it wasn't as good as Tatum's right now. And Sydney Lamberty, if you remember, was an assist turnover god. Like, she hardly ever turned it over. And if she did, she usually had like 12 assists on the other end of it. So, um, yeah, I mean, Tatum's been playing unbelievable right now. The best basketball of her career by far, I think. And their offense is humming, humming right now. The defensive end of the floor is is where you'll figure out if what their ceiling is because they they do have some weak spots, but I think they've done a good uh, of you know being smart on the end of the floor too because they 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 scout uh, they take away tendencies and they make sure that the number one option doesn't always beat them. So um, you know even the South Dakota game like Maddie Kroll. Uh, freshman point guard from Millard South from the Omaha area. She hit four threes for South Dakota and she hadn't hit three all season. So, you know, they took away the top options um, and they've done that for the most part this season. So that's going to be the thing. Like if Creighton's defense can continue to do that and their offense can continue to operate the way it's operating, like their ceiling is extremely high and they've put themselves in a good spot right now with a top 30 net and four quality wins um, to be an SWA tournament team. So, Right now they're in a good spot. It's all about if they can finish the finish the job. You mentioned how Crane likes to take away uh, the opposing team's best players. We know that for our girls, though, Tatum runs to show. I think the beneficiaries of that smart, intelligent offense that you just mentioned so far have been Jensen and Bachelor. Mm-hmm. Uh, which girl do you think needs to step up? Because teams are going to take those options away. The further we get into Biggie's play, you know how familiar these teams get with each other. Which yeah. player do you see kind of, you know, have, has shown the ability to, you know, be a third, fourth scoring option, but also has the ability to maybe score a little bit more than she has so far? 
but just because, you know, Jansen, Tatum, and Basher have really been running the show so far. That's a really interesting question. I haven't really thought about it like that before. Mm-hmm. That's why you come on the – that's why you step into the gym with me. This is why <laughs> well, we because <laughs> <laughs> Look at him asking hard hitters that are tough. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the thing, with, the thing with them is they've had different people beat be the reason for their, for their offensive output on different nights so far. So, you know, you've had games where more, I mean, Morgan Malley had 20 points off the bench against Arkansas. Uh, Emma Rontick's had a couple 20 point games. Um, you know, Rachel Saunders has scored in double figures. The bachelors had some 20 point games and has scored in double figures. Like uh, I don't know if, you know, and Lauren Jensen has as well. Like she had, she had 23 against uh, Villanova and then she scored 17 in the first quarter against Providence, yeah, like, went, yeah. <laughs> crazy. So, and it went uh, 19, scored 17 in the first quarter. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's one answer. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's tough. Hey, I think, doing like, it by committee like, is not the two, worst thing in the world either, though. Doing it by yeah. committee is not the worst thing in the world. Well, for sure, because it makes you hard to defend, right? Like, who do we take right. away? And is is option B ready to step up when, when that happens? And usually it's been yes. So I think you'll what you're starting to see is Rachel Saunders is starting to get into gear a little bit off the off season, you know, rehab and injuries that she's dealt with. So I could see her taking a game over a little bit. Uh, Molly Mogensen is shooting, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, she's not a volume shooter, but she's shooting 50% from the field and from three. So I think she has an ability to get hot. Uh, we still haven't seen Peyton Brosky go off in a game yet um, from a scoring standpoint, you know, she's got the ability to knock down shots if she gets rolling. Uh, you know, she had a really good game against DePaul last year, and she had, I think, 18 on nine of nine shooting in the exhibition game this season. So, you know, she's got that ability. So those are a couple players right there who haven't yet um, gone off that probably, if they did, it probably wouldn't surprise you, but it would be a surprise in terms of, like, what's happened already this season. So those are the three names I'd probably say. Um, but the balance is part of Creighton's magic this year. They do have a lot of scoring balance, so. You know, Tatum Rembaugh has been playing the best basketball of her career, and she's, you know, not really shooting the ball that well right now. It's crazy. So <laughs> she could even have a game where all of a sudden, you know, she hits four or five threes and gets into the 20s, and you're like, okay, well, that's new. All right. You know, so I don't right. know. It's, it's tough. That's a tough question. Good question. Well, we're definitely going to be paying attention to see how it all unfolds. Uh, Coach Flan has been – one of the more impressive coaches, obviously, when you look at the grand scheme of Crane sports uh, so far in his tenure with the Jays, what has his legacy kind of been when you talk before you know it, you look up and he's already been there for 20 some years. So mm. what do you think like at once he obviously, and I'm not saying it anytime soon, but once he obviously, you know, hangs his hat as far as being like the women's basketball coach, what do you think people are mostly going to remember about Coach Flynn and his impact on the women's basketball program? Well, one minor historical correction is he actually was a player for Creighton. Um, yeah. So he's been there like 40 years, honestly. It's not 20 years. <laughs> I, was, I, was talking about, I was talking about him being a head coach specifically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I just want want Flynn thinking he's a young man, though. So, yeah, it's like basically all his life has been at Creighton's <laughs> campus. So. Well, when we had Raz up here, he obviously spoke very highly about the fact that Flan, being a player, a walk on himself, came over and helped him uh, with practicing with the ladies. And that's kind of how he just kind of built 
himself into, you know, all of a sudden like being on their staff and then being a coach and so on and so forth. The rest is history. But like, you got to admire someone who's, who's been oh, there for man. that long and who's really dedicated his life to the white and the blue. Yeah. I mean, if there's a, if there's a quintessential Creighton person, it's, it's like, it's honestly, it's a lot of people like Johnny Torres fits that mold in soccer. <laughs> it is, yeah. like, Jim Flannery is the same way. Um, I, you know, I, I, that's a good question. Cause I don't know if I've spent a lot of time thinking about Flan's legacy, but it's, it, I think it's going to, it's going to be prominent. I mean, his name's already on the practice floor. That's one thing. So mm-hmm. um, he's etched himself in that regard. The thing about Flan that makes you not think about it is he's such a down to earth, cool dude. Like you don't ever, he doesn't he seem would, larger than life. He seems like one of us, right? Like we'll go to so lunch cool, and we won't talk much at all. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> he's, he's the coolest dude. He's so cool. He's yeah. one of the guys I love catching up with whenever I get back on campus in the summertime. Him and Coach Booth. If I run into them, I literally it's a twenty minute conversation that has to happen right there and then. Like that's how cool those two are to me. So yeah, you're right. He he's one of those guys. Like you see him in passing, you would never think that he has had as much success as he has because he just doesn't let it get to his head. It's not the personality that he has. He's just a low key down to earth, really cool guy. He's just like, you know, when you're interacting with people and in this profession, right? Like you'll walk around different, like when, when the Jays are on the road and you'll be in a different arena and then you're interacting with opposing coaches and things like, you know, you're talking to a coach most of the time. Like they're very just guarded. Um, specific uh you can see the disciplinarian in most people when they're coaches with flan i don't think i think if you were to meet him and hang out with him like for a month and then try to guess what he does for a living i don't know if coaching (laughs) would be the thing like it's he but then the game happens and he's super competitive like he wants to win so bad that's the thing i think the balance is the most impressive thing so i think maybe his legacy is like how he was able to be so successful and so down to earth and mix that together. You know what I mean? Cause he's so good to people. Um, he's got time for everyone and it's not like a little bit of time. Like he'll talk your head off for hours. You know what I mean? He's right, very right. generous. He's very friendly. And then when the lights go on, he wants to win as bad as anyone in that re- arena. You know what I mean? So there's, you know, and then, and then you're not even talking about the coaching part of it. The coaching part of it is he's great on the whiteboard. He's great out of timeouts. His teams always get better at the end of the year. Um, his players always get better throughout their careers. Like there's just a body of work there in the coaching part of it that, you know, is a little bit underappreciated. But I think the one thing that I appreciate most about him and that will probably be the most memorable thing about him when, when he's done coaching is just how down to earth he was the whole entire time. Like whether you talk to him after they lost by 20 or one by 20, he was the same dude. He really was. Mm-hmm. It's and that's 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 incredible because I don't think I don't think that's common. I think that's pretty rare. One thing that I love about Flan is, you know, we're talking about him in this light, but when you talk to the girls who have played for him, one of the biggest things that you need to remember is there's only been like two or three transfers in his entire oh, tenure <laughs> there. The girls who have committed to Crane and committed to him and his staff, they stay for the long run. That's you know, not a lot of coaches I, I can say that very little coaches can even say something close to that zero (laughs) jay zero before last year they were the only school in the whole country men or women that hadn't had a transfer in like the last 12 years a decade yeah exactly no other school could say 
clearly like the people who are in his program who play for him uh, understand the rarity it is to have somebody or to play for somebody like him. And obviously everyone really appreciates them on campus. And, and if you've played for him, you certainly appreciate what he's meant to you as, as, a, as a person, as a coach, you know, and, and everything that comes with that, that coach and player relationship. Like I know for myself, when I look at Coach Mack, it's a lot more than just a coach player relationship. So I can only imagine what those girls feel for him, having yeah. the, the fact that no one ever wants to leave the program, essentially. So here's one thing that I, I remember from the little bit outside the box in terms of a coaching story, but you remember Riley Norman, right? She was your class of my Craig. class. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she came to Creighton, you know, she got, she was a scholarship player. Uh, she never, she, I mean, she was supposed to be pretty good coming out of high school. Right. But she never got to play because of injuries just kept, year after year injury injury. yeah yeah and uh you know at some point she halfway through she just it just wasn't gonna happen anymore and she wasn't gonna she ended up suiting up in 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 final in in her senior day game finally Mm -hmm. for a couple minutes but yeah it just like her body just wouldn't let her play right it just kept she kept having setbacks and things like that so i she if you look at her if you go back and look up riley norman you're not gonna find much right because statistically there isn't much there, but Flynn never took her off scholarship, never told her to go find another school, never told her to go um, just be a student. Like he, he continued to let her be a part of the team, even though she wasn't going to play. She was never going to play. She was never going to practice. She wasn't going to help them get better in that regard, but he never told her to go, you know, what, what any coach would do if they're, it's a numbers game, right? if you've got someone sitting on the roster who's essentially not contributing to the basketball part of it, that's a, it's a waste of a spot. A lot of coaches would mm-hmm. say, right. Flynn never looked at it like that. He, you know, he looked at the, the positives with Riley. Like she was, she had a lot of friends on the team. Um, she was a good teammate, even though she didn't play. So he just kept honoring her scholarship, even though she never actually played um, until that senior day game. Um, and then that senior day game is like magical because of that. Cause you know, everything she's been through and then everything that um, just her trajectory of her career of still being allowed to be a part of the team without being, without playing. And it made that senior day game pretty memorable. Um, and I think that's something that like kind of shows who Flynn is, right? Like, I don't know how many coaches in the country would do that. I don't, I just yeah. don't know if there's, if there's, I don't even know if there's five that would say there's- if they if that would let a person be on the team for four years on scholarship without playing, you know what I mean? Or practicing. It's crazy. So it just that, goes that's, to show the character story. that Flan has for sure. Mm-hmm. Man, Flan, come on the show, man. We were trying to give you your flowers out here. <laughs> uh, we do have to talk. I was making fun of you about that shirt. I'm not backing off from that. But I will say, man, what you've done for the program has been unbelievable. Obviously, I'm, I'm a big fan of yours. Come on the show. Let's discuss it um but no you deserve your flowers while you're still doing it big and you know like i said i'm not trying to you know put a time on on when flan's gonna start to hang it up by any stretch of the imagination but i just do understand that you know some people sometimes go underappreciated you know we kind of get bored with success sometimes and that's unfortunate Mm -hmm. that's human nature uh but i mean he has to be recognized for all the work that he's done so far especially for the for a women's basketball program who has reached some heights that you know when i talked to raz about it a, a few months ago he never expected to reach. So, uh, you know, Coach Flynn is a big part of that. And, you know, 
the the history speaks for itself. What he's been able to accomplish has been, you know, pretty remarkable, and he's still doing it. Uh, Matt, before I let you go, got to ask you a couple of questions that I typically ask the guest on the podcast. I'd like to put you on the spot right before I send you away. Uh, first question has to be: What's your favorite restaurant in Omaha? Ooh, ooh, <laughs> that's I love that. That's everybody's reaction every I'm time. From, I'm from Omaha, so that's like tough. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, when I had Ross Farini here, he went with his favorite spots. He went like Big Fred, so he went like really <laughs> traditional Omaha spots. Okay, so let's hear. You know it. what? I'm, I'm, I'll give you something that you probably you probably won't get from anybody else. But this is from because mm-hmm. I actually I'm from Omaha, but I'm actually from like a suburb of Omaha, essentially. Um, so I'm from La Vista, and I went to play in La Vista High School. And like right across, like right around the corner from Papillion La Vista High School is a Chinese restaurant called Ming's. And it's just like a little mom and pop shop. But like Hell every yeah. day, every day after school, dude, like my, me and my friends, we would always go and I would always get the same thing. The peanut butter chicken was the was the money meal. So, you know, yeah. it was just a, it was that's that, that was our spot. So if I'm being nostalgic, um, I've probably had Ming's more than anything else in my life. So that's probably the restaurant I'll go to. So Ming's in Papillion. In Pavilion, Nebraska is my. I love restaurant. it. See, that's very out there. Not a lot. I mean, no one has said that. I don't so think far. anyone's going to say that. I'm pretty but sure. Craytonians would know this. Uh, the beef lo mein of China taste. Oh, exquisite. <laughs> <laughs> exquisite. You don't know how many broke college student nights I had where I just ordered that up real quick for six bucks and it was a meal in and of itself. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, yeah, Ming's is like six bucks for PBC and a pop. Like they don't even right. take cards. <laughs> they don't even take cards there because they know that it's like a bunch of broke high school kids, like with cash only. Like, yeah. So right. That's the I love that's it. Spot. Ming's and Papillion. You know what? I might swing over by there this summer and see what we're talking about. Ming's I'll take, is I'll take you there. Place, yeah. right? Hit me up. Hit me up. Let's go. Uh we have to alter this because obviously you're not a former player. We have to alter this a little bit for you. What is the favorite team to watch the boys beat in Big East play? Ooh. What is a team like when we Yeah. Um, when, when we beat them, you just get like this this feeling inside. You're like, yeah, like, yeah. You know what I mean? I'll tell you what, because of like the way the fans react to it, like their fans, I'm talking. Any win over like Seton Hall or St. John's is hilarious to me. I I just yeah. It just creates such the it just creates the funniest reaction of people like arguing that you just can't simulate anywhere else. Like beating Villanova is fun, but I think everybody in the league enjoys when Villanova like gets Goes a loss because it means their team can yeah. catch them, right? It's like, oh, okay, cool. So no one gets no one gets hyped about or no one gets um, in their feelings about that. But Seton Hall and St. John's, when Creighton beats them, it's like who the hell is Creighton? Like you hear you see a bunch of East Coasters like get real upset about this team from Nebraska beating a bunch of New Yorkers. So I, I think that's the most fun one probably. Because you've been around a while, I'm going to ask you the exact same question before a Missouri Valley conference team. Which uh, Of course. Had to be. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> had to be. Yeah. Next, next question. Gap. <laughs> next question. Gap. Although the Southern uh, game this year did bring back some like old Saluki did Jays. It, did it not? Seeing yeah, those birds burgundy and white jerseys like really mm. uh, it, it did something to me yeah and then to see especially a brian mullins coaching my mm. mullins coaching them like i remember josh Dilsler and mullins battling back in the day so him coaching southern illinois really brought it back it's like oh this is like an old school mvc game all right i remember how 
hated this rivalry was. Yeah. But yeah, yeah Wichita, no she- question. Always Wichita. She- chef's kiss for Ryan Nemhard. Ryan Nemhard bringing that home, by the way. Chef's kiss. <laughs> Just beautiful. Uh, Three-part question as the last one. Because, you know, same building, three different names. What's your favorite memory in the Quest, CenturyLink, and Shiloh Center? Oh, my God. Let's go Quest so far. Like, let's go back in the day. Your favorite memory when it was called the Quest Center? I'm pretty sure it was still called the Quest Center when this happened. So if it's not, I'm sorry. But Anthony Tolliver mm-hmm. hit, a, hit a buzzer beater to beat Wichita. Um, it was like baseline mid-range 15-footer in front of Creighton's bench and Mm -hmm. Dana Altman went nuts. Like he was, he had his hands in the air and he never like used to do that type of stuff. So I think Creighton was down like 18 or something like that in that game. And they came all the way back. They either blew a big lead or they came back from a big deficit. (laughs) Either, either way, Tolliver gamed him at the buzzer and there was a mob scene at the, at the bench. Like it was wild. So I think that happened at the quest center. So uh, that's my quest center memory for sure uh shot or sorry Century oh yeah Link. sorry you asked me all three huh okay yeah um century link well three, it kind of well, yeah. asking you all three kind of encapsulated the different eras that the yeah. one building's kind of been a part of so that's why i wanted to do it that way shoot century link i'll, I'll okay, give you one that, that, that comes up here in the beast is like oh i i think i got you uh, on one how about the antoine young long beach state buzzer beater that was legendary for sure that had to be yeah. brought back after we rushed to court already for them to play 0.4 seconds on the clock okay yeah I remember that. <laughs> yes um or how about that like that evansville uh double overtime game with josh yeah, jones like hitting that 30 footer right yeah yeah um Man, there's some tough ones, dude. I hate to be so predictable, but it's like there's never been a game that felt like your senior night. Um, in oh. any, yeah, not in the century. Yeah. yeah, was it still century link then? It, it was so my freshman year was the last of Quest Center going into sophomore years when it okay. turned to century link. So, yeah, it went all the way up until that, until what two years ago when it turned into shy health, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So so either yeah, you, you know, you know, you know what's another underrated from. memory though is like uh I don't I don't know if you remember it, but you were playing Marquette in the Big East opener and winning Sweet Caroline. Um, Sweet Caroline. Yeah. Yeah. You got like a steal, like yeah, right when it was away. like at the big point yeah. of like Sweet Caroline. Yeah, you got a steal like right when that happened and led to a run out. And I yeah. swear to God, it was like someone scripted it. So that was a crazy memory because I can I can still hear people singing as you picked like somebody's pocket. I uh, yeah. took it down. From the I, pocket, I remember. That, I vividly so. remember that. That was, that is a super yeah. low key memory. And also the double Grant Gibbs senior night speeches is also a yeah. good memory for Too me. Funny. <laughs> Too funny. Yeah. For sure. And now funny. finally, Shy Health. I'll tell you mine. It's obviously when we clinched the share of the Big East. Was it Shy Health? Or was it CenturyLink? No. It's See, Shy I'm Health. already all right. So when we clinched a. Uh, uh, share of the big east regular season championship i think that was the first year of the shy health too well then there it is that that would be mine which one would be yours yeah um that's tough to top because like um when uh when ty when tyshawn pinned powell off the glass and then dj took it down and dunked on mamu and in like that whole sequence the crowd went from like a 10 to a 20 
yeah. and it never went back down again. So I, mm-hmm. that game is the game where I've never heard a crowd so loud for so long. You know what I mean? Um, because the game was close until Creighton pulled it, you know, pulled away at the end. So the crowd was always like locked in on every possession. Um, that's yeah, it's, it's definitely Seton Hall. I, I'd be too cute if I tried to think of anything else. Like I'm just going to stay simple and say that. Yeah, for sure. Like there's, there's never been a crowd like that. I haven't, I haven't experienced one anywhere. I love it. I love it, bro. Thank you so much for stepping into the J with me. I appreciate you so much. Obviously, happy holidays, happy new year and all that good stuff to you and yours. Uh, you're definitely going to be coming back. Like, I enjoy intellectual basketball conversations, so you, you definitely need to come back on the podcast. I mentioned it in the open, all the stuff that you're a part of. If I've forgotten anything, I, I apologize, but please good. plug in where everybody can come see the podcast, obviously your Twitter handle and all that good stuff. Yeah, so the Twitter handle is at MJDMarinas. Um whiteandbluereview.com for all the good stuff. Like, you know, we just we just released two new commentaries. Uh, rewatched the Wisconsin game from 2016. Oh, wait, Toby, right? Yep. Is that yep. the one Toby that and yep. Jordan Scurry, <laughs> yep. And then uh, one I recorded back early in the pandemic, the uh, Creighton women's NCAA tournament win over Iowa, uh, Sydney Lamberty, and then Coach Sire on that one with me. So check those out to get your basketball fix in before the Jays uh, play at Butler tomorrow morning and then – the men play Marquette the day after that. So that'll bridge the gap for you. And then obviously we got the scurry in the scrub big East weekend review every Sunday and all oh, the blue J beat after every game. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There it is. That's it. All right. <laughs> Appreciate you so much. Make sure to like, and subscribe to the field of 68 me- field of 68 media network. That's the second week in a row that I'm messing up that out show. Make sure to like and subscribe to the Field of 68 Media Network for content such as this. I appreciate you guys so much. I love the feedback that I'm getting week in, week out. Uh, If you keep listening, I promise you I'll keep on talking. Until then, make sure you guys stay safe. And as always, go Jays.